hello again and welcome back to the Fear and Beer podcast where we talk all things horror, horror nights, and just a dash of beer. I'm Nick. And I'm Seamus. Hey guys, welcome back. So this week, week two, we're going to go through the version two speculation map and dissect each house. We're going to dive into these with some degrees of extensiveness, some more so than others. We took four houses and wrote off those mystery IPs, the mystery original, since we really don't have an idea of what those will be as of yet. So for right now, we're just going to stick with what we know that is presented to us on those maps. Again, those are speculation maps. We trust their track record. But for now, we're going to use that as our basis for this episode. So for this week's episode, I picked up a bottle from my local shop. It's from a brewery based in Michigan. It's called Jolly Pumpkin. So I figured it was kind of fitting for this, you know, podcast. So the name of the beer is Sobra Humano Palena Ole. <laughs> Can't really, it's a hard name to pronounce. So what it is, it's a collaboration beer between Jolly Pumpkin and another brewery called Maui Brewing Company. And the reason that's important, at least as far as the beer is concerned, is because the master brewer and the owner of Jolly Pumpkin, Ron Jeffries, he, over the course of his career of becoming a master brewer and opening his own brewery eventually, he learned to take life in a different pace and take a lot from the culture of Hawaii and the idea of aloha and being able to just live life at a even-keeled pace and, not, and don't try to go through things too fast. So he really puts a lot of that philosophy into his beer, primarily focus on artisan ales and farmhouse ales, which are typically sour in taste and vary in different flavors based on what they use to brew. So this particular one that we're drinking has got cherries and the state berry of Hawaii. I'm not entirely sure what how to pronounce it, but it's Elikakoi. <laughs> so I'm sorry for anybody listening in Hawaii. I, I don't mean to butcher the names of your of, of your many state things, but uh, they took the two fruits from each state. So they're from Michigan, which is a cherry, and then, of course, the one I just said from from Hawaii. So the reason I picked this particular beer and how it fits with the horror theme is that a because the brewery is Jolly Pumpkin, but also their artwork is really cool in the sense that it's a lot of custom artwork, a lot of skulls and, and Halloween imagery and horror imagery. And it really kind of caught my eye when I was looking for some specific stuff. So we're going to enjoy this beer. We're going to talk about the houses as Nick said in the in the intro. Okay. So to start, I'm going to pick one of the houses that is deemed as one of the originals this year is Bedtime Stories. Now, I was a little unsure of what dictates a fairy tale versus a bedtime story, but these are some ideas that I found looking into them quickly. And then as I was researching, I soon realized most of them were used for one or more of the scary tale houses of the past. Things like Little Red Riding Hood, Humpty Dumpty, The Three Little Pigs, Rapunzel, Goldilocks, all those had been used in some capacity in the past. So I'm not really sure if they're going to redo some of those scenes or if they're going in a different direction, but the bedtime stories and fairy tales seem to kind of go hand in hand, I say. With that being said, I did find a couple that I don't believe have been used. So sorry in advance if some of these drag on because I don't know these stories myself, so I just kind of give a little brief summary of a few. So one of the stories I stumbled upon that was really already creepy was Rumpelstiltskin. So for those who are not familiar with this weird little German story from about 4,000 years ago, uh, this old miller tells a king that his daughter can turn straw into gold. So the king locks her in a room filled with straw to prove her worth. Obviously, she can't complete the task. So at this point, some weird, creepy little imp-like elf creature appears, and he does it for her. He turns all the straw into gold. So this escalates a few times over until the king puts her in a large room and demands that it all be gold. And when that is completed, she'll be his wife, or else he'll behead her. So, really starting out that marriage strong. The imp arrives again to do it one final time for the price of her firstborn child. So, left with no other options, either give up her firstborn or be beheaded by the king, she takes it deal. 
Fast forward a couple years later, she is married to the king at this point, and she has a kid. The imp comes back to claim his deal, his end of the deal. And she tries all her might to pay off the imp now that she's married, she has all this money, and he says the only way he'll break the deal is that if she can guess his name. Up until that point, it had not been spoken. So she tries to figure it out and goes wandering into the woods at some point and stumbles upon this little creepy hut, and he hears him singing some weird little creepy rhyme at the end of it saying that his name is Rumpelstiltskin. So he comes back, she guesses it, and then he leaves angrily. So just a quick little brief story of that one. Obviously, this could work as a cool room or a house set up with castle walls and the imp popping out. Maybe her being beheaded at some point. Obviously, the creepy little hut would be a fun one with maybe a silhouette of the little imp dancing around and his song playing over on a loop. That would be pretty cool. Another story is Jack and the Beanstalk. So just a small story here. There's a poor farm boy. He buys some magical beans and grows a giant beanstalk. It grows and grows and grows all the way into the sky. So he climbs it, and he's greeted by all the goods that have been stolen from his family in the past. They are guarded, however, by a giant. So another cool concept here that could be made into some sort of big beanstalk as a set design. The scare could be a giant, either an animatronic or a big suit with the fee-fi-fo-fum as sort of a sound scare. And him reaching down from the top, sort of like how the Yetis did it last year. They could use either an arm prop or just somebody swinging back and forth up there. So another story that I kind of dived into that I didn't know the full extent of it was the Pied Piper. So in this story, a man comes to a town infested with rats. He agrees to lure the rats out of the town for a price. The town agrees, and he plays his pipe and guides all the rats down to a river. And they follow him, and they all drown to death. So then the town, when he goes back, refuses to pay him. So he vows revenge. And in a few days, he comes back and he plays his pipe again. But this time, it lures all the children away. So all the kids get up from whatever chores they're doing all through the town and follow him. And he leads them all the way into a cave and they're never seen again. So this, on the whole, is a creepy story in itself. So as a room, it could be cool to see the rats moving towards the river and crying as you know a character plays the Pied Piper. And he has his old jester-style suit on. He plays the pipe. Uh, with all the little rats screaming. The next section could be when he comes to lead the children. Now, I doubt they could get live actors as children, but sort of how Stranger Things and Us had people portraying younger kids, or in graveyard games of last year where they had props set up to look like fake children, uh, you could do that and having lead them towards the cave, and the cave could be the exit of that section of the house. Just one last one that I found. Obviously, there's a lot out there, but I don't want to spend too much time on these. The Princess and the Pea. Uh, a prince wants a princess to marry, but no one stands out to him. You know, one night some woman shows up during a stormy night covered in rain. She's claiming to be a princess, and she can stay the night. The mother of the prince places a pea under her mattress. And in the morning, she claims she had a bruise or something in her mattress that really threw off her sleep, and she could feel it. Because of that, for whatever reason, that's how the family decides that she is a princess. So not much of horror to work with, but still with a castle facade and thunder and lightning, something could come of it. You know, a scare actor dripping wet in a dress screaming for help or something like that. You know, the last one doesn't really have a lot to work with in terms of horror and aspects like that. But I've, you know, the creative team can work wonders on that. A couple other stories that could work in this house in some way, shape, or form could be, you know, the Ugly Duckling, the Frog Prince, Thumbelina, something of that sorts. What do you think about a house kind of centered in that realm? Yeah, I think the takeaway here is that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of quote-unquote bedtime stories or children's stories that were told thousands of years prior to the present day and even up till now used to, you know, playfully scare children and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Even some of the fairy tales that we have today that are, used as Disney movies. A lot of them, if you go back in in the history of the world, a lot of these stories were actually a lot more horrific, (laughs) to put it one way. So for instance, if you you take like the Alice in Wonderland story, which Disney obviously is the one we think of when when we talk about that story, but if you go back and look at the history of the actual telling of it, 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 it actually tends to be a lot more scary and more serious of a story. Hansel and Gretel is another 
example, or something like Humpty Dumpty. Uh, so a lot of these stories think of the grim fairy tales. So there's a lot of different ways they could go with this house. And I think, you know, the, to be honest with you, they could take any one of these ideas and I think make it, you know, something that's awesome and something that really works. So the first house I'm going to kind of break down is the one that said the pumpkin house or the pumpkin something along those lines. Uh, I did some research, and the first thing I want to point out is that when you go to Universal's page for Halloween Horror Nights 2020, the first image on the dashboard is actually of what looks like the Headless Horseman. At least that's what I'm gathering of it. It's a person in all black with a flaming pumpkin head. I think this might be, if not a clue, at least something that Universal's kind of like put on there and you never know it could actually lead to something but I saw that and I thought that was kind of interesting now what I did find is that there was a scare zone and I believe Nick you had talked about this last week yep. at Halloween Horror Nights 28 there was a scare zone called the Harvest the theming around this scare zone was a haunted barn and they included a lot of props from other houses there were characters in that scare zone they were dressed up like pumpkin creatures and they called them the Harvester Pumpkins. So one thing I thought about was that it could break that story up a little bit. Maybe they create their own, you know, take on what is a, what is a Harvester Pumpkin? What do they do? Why are they cursed? Are they former humans or are they demons or something along those lines? Um, and they could probably break, break that scare zone up into more of a, of a house. One other thing that I thought about, and this is going based on the image that I saw, when I think of pumpkin, or when a lot of people think of think of pumpkins or scary pumpkins, obviously you think of jack-o'-lanterns and that sort of thing, and maybe the movie Halloween, but there is a very deep uh, amount of lore with the Ichabod Crane and Sleepy Hollow story, so maybe it could be a take on that story, Universal's own take on it, maybe not something that you know comes directly from the original retelling of that story, but maybe something that they came up with on their own. I think there's a lot of ways they could go with this. I didn't find anything that really kind of gives away the font. I thought because the special font on the map, maybe it was a different property that had been around at some other point. I couldn't find anything specifically looking like that. So I don't know if if there is something in the past that they've used or maybe that was just something that came from that scare zone. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, for me, the easiest thing to connect with an original that we don't really understand directly puts my mind back on that harvest scare zone being that things are still up in the air with this world and the construction and you know people are debating if hhn is going to happen is it not going to happen you know construction is still very much under the way however if they need to take a couple shortcuts here and there to push through some of their last houses I can almost guarantee that they have all those props still from that scare zone, the harvest. So all they really would need to do is just elaborate a little bit more and give us a full story about it. So for me, that was a personal favor of scare zone. The aesthetic of it just looked really great. So I'd love if they went in that direction. However, the whole Ichabod crane thing is definitely something that's viable as well. So I guess time will tell on that one. So the other house I'm going to be covering for right now is the Terra Crentis. So Terracrentis, for those who aren't as familiar with it like me, I had to do some research to understand the full detail of it. Terracrentis is the land ruled by the Terra Queen. Ooh, big bad Terra Queen. Blood there in her land is used as a source of power to fuel the Terra Queen. So they gather all of that blood through sacrifices. Once the blood is gathered, it's taken by the Queen's Bone Chopper Riders. Sons of Anarchy style. No, I'm just kidding. The blood is then taken by the chopper riders and delivered, and it is used to create iron in the Gorewood Forest and the Dragon Forges, Tangle Root, Fire Pits, long name there. And then that iron, they create the Terra Throne Blade, which is used for the sacrifices, thus completing the full cycle of land, blood, sacrifice, rain, terror. The cycle ends eventually when the Terra Queen is sacrificed herself. I'd like to see the house work in this process. You know, we'd start by entering the land with fire and torches of that sorts with the Terra Queen greeting into the land, welcoming people to sacrifice their blood for her. You know, I would toss in, she actually has a, a pledge of allegiance. So I would toss that in 
as almost like a welcoming for all the people that are walking through this are in theory going to be sacrificing their blood for her. In her story, there's a school and the children there, they learn that sacrifice and sacrificing their blood is for the betterment of their land to fuel their ruler, the Terra Queen. So I would make this the next room. So it kind of eases you into it and shows you that from an early age, this is what the people of their land are taught and this is what they understand. After that room, I would immediately head towards another room where people are being sacrificed for their blood with a very gory, dark, red lights all over the room. I'd make it, you know, as gory as I can. And that's going to be a common theme through this house in my eyes is going to be the gore aspect. Here, once having the blood, we'd get a scene with the choppers giving scares from, you know, the motorcycles revving up, giving the riders weapons, and now giving them the blood so they can go on their way. So on their way, we're going to travel to that next room. Here, we'd enter the body collectors facility. Now, the body collectors have been seen in the past Horror Nights as their own house before, but they're a part of this story as well. So we'd enter the body collectors facility that's in the Gorewood Forest to deliver the blood, an area I would expect to be covered in skulls and various body parts. And again, a lot of gore going on here. And this is where we would see the Terra Throne blade being created, which the blade itself is actually, it's a large, it's a full femur, and it's decorated with hair and teeth. I don't want to say, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque, because it might give off the wrong impression, but that's the image that I immediately think of when using dismembered body parts to create items. So after that, we'd enter the Blood Ruins, which is a village that's not far from the mines. And this town, this village, is full of monks who just worship the queen. If there's anybody that questions that, they immediately begin sacrifice or they get sent over to the body collector's facility to be used there. I could see, again, a large ceremonial scene here with another sacrifice, another very gory scene. And then the house could finish in the fire pit scene with the Terra Queen demanding more sacrifices, more blood, and then towards the very end she could self-sacrifice herself and kind of completing that full circle of the Terra Queen lore, so to speak. So I know I'm fairly new to the Terra Queen. I haven't really seen much of her since I've only been coming since Halloween Horror Nights 25, but I did a lot of research and she's got a lot of backstory laid out, so I'd expect to see a lot of these lands and images, hopefully, if this house is to take place, to pay homage to all of her folklore and history. So is that something you're kind of excited for as well? Yeah, I mean, like I established last week that I'm still really new to Halloween Horror Nights, so the whole backstory and lore of everything they've done over the years, I've known through you know watching videos of the houses and, and reading up a little bit about it. So I think there's definitely a lot of history that they're going to pull from. I mean, everything you, you basically just laid out is, sounds awesome. I don't really know much about the Terra Queen or the Terra, whatever it's called, Crentis. It's definitely an interesting story. I'm probably going to go home and read a bunch about it and try to get an idea of really what the story is all about. But, I mean, it sounds like it could be a really cool house. I mean, your scare actors could all be dressed as the bikers. They have the queen that happens at least in the the penultimate scene or uh, within that scene, you know, within various scenes. Um, So there's a lot of ways they could go with it. And I think that, you know, judging by what they've done before in the past, I think there's definitely definitely something they, they, they could make work. Now, the other original house that I went and looked up um, has a lot of backstory when it comes to Halloween Horror Nights from what I've found and read. Um, this is the Legendary Truth house that they're predicting. Uh, Legendary Truth is a collective of it's paranormal investigators, I guess you'd call them. At least that's the way it sounds to me. Now, they call them, like, the supernatural investigative society or something along those lines. But the idea was they were created to look up or or to investigate the supernatural happenings at Halloween Horror Nights. In 2008, the event, uh, Reflections of Fear, they were, I think, as as far as I can gather from what I read, is that they were created for that event. Obviously, I hadn't gone to that at the time. So I don't really know from from personal experience what happened, but they based that whole event around the Bloody Mary story and the 
Legend of Bloody Mary. So when you go say in front of your mirror and you say Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, you're supposed to like be visited by the demon herself. The whole idea of that event for, and many of you probably already know this, but the idea is that, you know, as a guest, you were transported through the mirror and each house had some form of warped reality. And the Legendary Truth Collective was created for that event, at least as far as I could see. Now, I could be completely wrong with that, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I am, but that's what I think I found. Now, in 2010, for the 20th anniversary, they actually gave Legendary Truth their own house. They called it Legendary Truth, the Wyandotte Estate. This is one of the 800 houses that year. What it basically was was the Legendary Truth group, they call a spirit-seeking group. They were investigating basically this this house called the Wyandotte Estate. There wasn't a lot of information on it, but essentially this estate existed in Cary, Ohio, which is like the town that this whole legendary truth story was based out of. And the house was owned by an entrepreneur, Malcolm Wyandotte, and his wife, Lydia. And it was built in the 1920s. The story goes that Malcolm brutally murdered 13 dinner guests one night and his wife, Lydia, before killing himself. And obviously the story is that then his and their spirits haunted the estate, which in 2010, the spirit seekers, the legendary truth collective, were to investigate that home. So as guests, you were brought through the house and, you know, each room was, or each scene was some sort of haunting. From what I f saw, the image of the facade was really cool. I don't know if you can see that or mm -hmm. not, but yeah, I, yeah, it, I, I liked how detailed the facade was. It looks like a house or a bed and breakfast and it really kind of gives off that eerie, hey, here's a group of spirits, paranormal investigators giving tours to guests and you know, obviously they're going to get more than they bargained for essentially. So my th my thought on this is because we're going into the 30th anniversary again, much like the pumpkin house, this is something that HHN has done in the past. So like Nick was saying, because of this year has been kind of crazy and not that it was what they intended, but at least they have something from the past that they can, that they can pull from and maybe make construction a little bit easier. But I still think that because it's the 30th, they're going to call back to it in some way. It'll be some other investigative type thing that the Legendary Truth are going to be involved in. So it'll probably be along the same lines as being involved in that Cary, Ohio, that Wyandotte County setting that you've seen in the past with this Legendary Truth. Like I said, I don't, I never had any experience with the original story. I can just, from my own assumptions, that they're going to do something special for it because it was a 20th anniversary 10 years ago, and now it's the 30th anniversary 10 years later. So they could revisit the Wyandotte Estate. My thought was maybe Legendary Truth, the Wyandotte Estate revisited, or 10 years later, or something along those lines. But it also could be something completely different, too. Yeah, so going off of that Legendary Truth-style house that we were expecting to get, it's interesting that on that version 1 map, they mentioned Cary, Ohio as the tagline. And now they have seemingly dropped that. So that leads me to believe that we might get something completely new from the Legendary Truth, a whole new story that is taking the group itself that we know and presenting a new task at hand for them to investigate. But since it was mentioned previously that the Cary, Ohio tagline is there, I would expect maybe something along the lines of a revisit. You know, like we said last week, there were other houses that have supposedly taken place in this mythical Cary, Ohio. The you know schoolhouse house, the Leave it to Cleaver, among other ones that have taken place there. So it, it's really up in the air. It's a very vague masking of a original house title because it has so many different little aspects to it. So I'm, I'm very curious. I'm intrigued a lot about that one just because for me, it seems like it's the most broad subject as far as originals go. So we could really be led anywhere. Now, the last original house that I'm going to cover is Dungeon of Terror. So Dungeon of Terror, as we mentioned last week, was the very first house. It appeared in 91 at Universal's Fright Night. That's before it took on the moniker of Halloween Horror Nights. It again appeared in four out of the first five years, I believe it was, and it grew in popularity. And that's really what birthed this whole event for us. So sticking with the past years I had to do a little bit of research and it was it was tough to track down some visuals of this because again being from 91 92 somewhere in that early 90s the photos didn't really seemingly make it all the way to 2020 so it was a little bit harder for me to get my hands on those 
but I would kind of expect to walk into this place. It would be a large, you know, castle facade. So that way the entrance would kind of have like a thunder and lightning style. I'd walk over in my head a drawbridge to head through the entranceway of the castle. You know, if it was another year, obviously we're going to be a little bit limited on special effects at Horror Nights that touch us. You know, there's not going to be those strings that hang down, the really thin fish line strings that touch you. Um, I think those are going to obviously go away. I'm very curious. I don't think we'll have any water effects or anything like that, but if it was another year, in my head with the large castle, the thunder and lightning, I could see a cool rain, mist, almost like how the Us House had last year. So that way when you walked in, it seemed like it was raining. I could see that this year. I'm not sure if that will actually take place based on what the restraints are with effects. I would connect the rooms with a shrinking hallway, sort of like a funhouse style. That was, from what I researched and found, that was a common theme back then. However, back then, the, the rooms and the hallways actually did shrink to give you that real claustrophobic feel. Again, with the whole limiting of what you can touch, what you can't touch, I think that would go away, but there is still a way to you know, create a optical illusion of sorts to make it seem like the hallway is narrowing. So I would kind of connect the different rooms with that. Now, some of the characters I would expect to see in this house are actually from multiple versions of this house. One is the Rat Lady who's made many appearances in the past, even out of Dungeons of Terror. She's appeared at Halloween Horror Nights just as a standalone. It'd be cool to see her in a coffin or a glass-style coffin of sorts, just kind of like the first house, so it would pay a, a direct homage to how she was originally brought to us. I'd create that almost as like a jump scare, so if it was a, a glass-style coffin, you could see right through. She could either like lunge forward and bang on the glass right in your face, something like that, almost basement style room with a lot of cobwebs, dust, real dingy style, dark, dirty feel. That would be a cool little room if you could add, you know, rat effects of some sort, just kind of having them scamper around, rat sound, something along those lines. There's a couple other that seem to be staples of this house. There's one, the hanging man, there's the snake master, and there's the top hat ghoul. All these were in the first two houses in some capacity, so it would make sense if the house is a revamped version of the past, whether they're there just in the background as kind of like a little wink to the true fans, or if they're actually brought back as full-on characters. You know, a scare with the hanging man, you could have him drop down in a noose next to the guests. It would be pretty cool. You could have him sort of behind a fence of sorts so it doesn't touch or hit anyone, but when he falls, you could hear a loud crashing sound or you know a noose tightening or maybe a, a large branch from a tree cracking. That would make for a great jump scare. You know, the Snake Master could be in a cool, not full-on carnival-style room, but somewhere in that realm. Lots of color, baskets, crazy lighting, and featuring shaking and stuff like that. You know, I'd have a lot of big snake-charming baskets all around the room. You'd kind of have to walk and weave in between them. You follow the same path, but it would kind of wind you through the room and have those baskets either shaking or you could hear hissing something like that and then this character could just kind of be free roaming in that room almost like the killer clowns one from last year where they had multiple fake clowns and two or three characters that kind of posed and made their way into the crowd and scared them you could have this character of the snake master free roaming and just kind of pop out from behind the baskets the other thing that kind of crossed my mind is they could go in a completely new direction with this house. Now, I think the possibility of this is extremely slim to none. I'd put the percentage at 0.0001, but it popped into my head and I thought it would be super, super cool, so I wanted to share that quickly. If they took the house that started it all and mashed that with the icons that built the event, I would have the castle facade still in make each room dedicated to a different icon. So outside the facade, I would have a big kind of graveyard entrance similar to how Graveyard Games was, but uh, you know, more elegant scale. And there I would have the caretaker as kind of the greeter or the first scare. At some point, Jack could have a carnival style room or at the very end of the house when you're leaving through the quote unquote back of the castle, the backyard can kind of be like a rundown carnival with Jack having his scare there. Throughout the house though, I would have other icons sprinkled in. I'd like to see like a private rundown screening movie theater room where we could be introduced to the usher and the director. I'd have an old Victorian style bedroom 
with the storyteller there reading a story to someone in bed with a big canopy in the drapes. I'd have like a light trigger inside of the bed that the character could trigger right there and it would reveal a silhouette style scare. I'd have some sort of rundown casino style room with Chance and Lady Luck. And then I would toss in some of the previously mentioned Dungeon of Terror alumni, like the Rat Lady and the Hanging Man, just as a kind of a nod to the old house. And Now, I know that's a stretch, and I just I personally just thought it was a cool idea. Walking through the house with all the icons seemed like a great idea to give us the Dungeon of Terror house and give us an icon house put together, though, so we could still have a whole additional house. So, like I said, the chances of that happening are super, super slim, but I just thought it would be kind of a cool take on smashing two different worlds together what do you what do you think about that one yeah again like i said i this is the first house they ever did and it was in the queue of jaws back in 91 so i was only three years old when that happens obviously i wasn't experiencing it and what i can find there's not a lot of video of it there's a lot of just firsthand recounting of what it was so they don't even really know a ton about what the first houses were outside of you know the you know, the guys that built it and created it and I should say guys and girls because it's not just guys, but the people that built and created the the house, they're the ones with all the knowledge and obviously, you know, people will forget and as time goes by. But I could also see something along the lines where they really just use the name Dungeon of Terror and just use the name as kind of like a nostalgic callback to the first ever event and then have it be something wholly new from their point of view, something along the lines of maybe like you know, varying levels of you know, maybe like medieval torture or going back and doing something along the lines of an actual dungeon. Who knows? I, like I said, I don't have the nostalgic backlog of <laughs> remembering all these different things that they did. And to me, obviously, I, I'm not going to really remember any of that. So if they do do a house where they say, all right, well, here's a lot of callbacks to the original characters from the original house, it'll be cool. But again, I won't really have much of a... I won't really have much of anything to look back and say, oh, I remember that, I remember that, only because obviously I don't, I never went through it. And I'm sure you're kind of in the same boat. Um, but yeah, I think for the for the old timers, the, the, the OG HHN uh, event, you know, guests that have been going since the since the first one, I, mean, I think it'd be a really cool idea for them to kind of really kind of rekindle that, that love for Halloween and for the, for the, for the haunted attractions that they've been doing for so long. That would be kind of cool, yeah. I, it's definitely, for all of the originals, that one I think is the most contentious, and only in the sense that they could go two different ways with it, where, like you said, I think you're looking more of a, I want to see just a callback to all the original characters, and I would like to see them kind of go back and say, hey, this is where we started, this is what we've gotten to, this is what we could do back then, but now look at what we can do. Uh, the effects are a lot better now because it's 30 years down the road. So that there's, there's definitely that aspect of it but on the other side people may want to see let's take that idea and let's do something completely new with it or at least somewhat new with it so that like you know we start a whole new generation of horror and haunt fans that can kind of have their own thing for the 30th but who knows we'll see what happens i think this is definitely one of the more interesting ones and i'm i'm really excited to find some actual news about because i would definitely want to see where they go with it yeah that one's gonna be probably the most interesting because I haven't been, obviously, to the event in 91. I was, I'm just about 30 now, so it was one when I was one. <laughs> so there was no possibility of me going to see that. So I'm excited to see what road they go down in representing that house. So now, going from the original ideas that we, you know, what we think the originals could be, um, and maybe what we're excited to see, and who knows? I mean, it could be anything we talked about. It could be completely, completely different. Um, that's the whole fun. That's that's the fun about doing this is just to kind of like throw some ideas against the wall but going into the ip level houses the ones that obviously have a not a not a not so much a constriction but at least they have rules that the universal team has to play by because they're you know they are ip obviously the first one universal monsters it's their own ip so they can do whatever they want from last year the universal monster house it was the one house that I don't have a great mem like a vivid memory of. I think only because it, for me it was one of the one of the one of the houses that I wasn't super into. I I thought it was cool. I like the Universal Monsters. I love those movies. But as far as a house is concerned, I didn't really understand the story they were going for. Uh, it was supposed to be all the famous monsters and their statues, and the statues come to life, and you know you're scared by all the various monsters throughout the uh, various scenes. But they did end it with the Bride of Frankenstein. Now, 
from the map we saw, we're looking at Universal Monsters, The Bride. My assumption is, is that it's The Bride of Frankenstein, but like Nick mentioned last week, last week, it could be The Bride of Frankenstein and The Bride of Dracula. It could just be The Bride of Dracula. Uh, calling it The Bride, my first thought is it's The Bride of Frankenstein because she's the more famous of the two. But that's, again, that's also an opinion, too. I mean, I, I would assume that she's the more famous one because that's the one I think of, but I could be wrong. Maybe The Bride of Dracula is still as popular or more popular. But I think for this one, my guess is that it's going to be The Bride of Frankenstein. Now, the interesting thing about this house is not that it's Universal Monsters. We kind of expect that we're going to get that again because it's the 30th. It's their, you know, their famous monster movies that have been around since the 1920s and 30s. But it's also because... As of right now, with the map that we got, it says music by Billie Eilish. Now, I'm guessing that the guys that put this map together, they're assuming Billie Eilish because there were new there was news that came out that Billie Eilish was connected to it in some way. Obviously, she's a big fan of it. She goes to the Halloween Horror Nights out in Hollywood a lot, um, and she's been connected to it for a while. So there's definitely something in the water with her being involved with this year's event. Now, the safest assumption we can make is that she's going to do music for this house, and which would be really, really cool. Like I said, I'm not a huge pop fan, but I listen to it. And Billie Eilish, for me, is one of the more, more unique artists out there right now. Now, what is known and seems fitting is that she's already a Universal Music Group artist, so she's she's contracted with Universal. So it's not going to be very difficult for Universal to be like, hey, let's write some new music for a house or let's take some of your music and rework it for the house or hey what do you think about doing a song for this house and maybe doing some other things for a scare zone we've seen what they've done with rob zombie like i said last week i think that was really really well done i think rob zombie's got some great creative um, input when it comes to putting these houses together i did watch a in interview he did with i think it was joe rogan it was joe rogan's podcast from what rob zombie made it sound like is that they basically said, hey, we want to use your stuff to make a house. Can you come you know, out and see it and give us your, your feedback? And it was a lot of those things where he's like, yeah, man, that's that's sweet. Let me fly out. And he, and, you know, he went out and he saw it. And he was like, yeah, you got my blessing. Go go wild with it. And they kind of just took his stuff and did a house with it. He had very minimal input from what I, from what I know. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what he said with Joe Rogan on that episode of podcast that I watched. Now, with Billie Eilish, I think that because she's – from this generation she's really into the whole haunted attraction type thing she's really into the idea of halloween and you know her music reflects that so i think that our big our best guess again is that she'll just do music now there is still talks of her doing her own house which i think would be awesome too obviously we don't really know what that would be i mean it could be anything really if you listen to her music she's all over the place as far as her topics but a lot of it has to do with men and and relationships and that sort of thing but her unique idea and take on that is what makes it creepy and the sounds that she uses are really cool i could see the house being themed like i said around frankenstein and and and, and dracula's wives and having billy eilish maybe have some input on how the scenes should be and how it would fit with the music but i don't know what do you think i mean i i think that there's definitely a lot of places they could go with it but that seems the most obvious yeah so i really hope that with the Universal Monsters, The Bride, we get more than just Frankenstein's Bride. You know, she was in the house last year, so I don't want to say that it's been there, done that, but a whole house dedicated to just one aspect of that world could be stretched a little thin. So adding, you know, like the Dracula's wife and stuff like that, at least one more monster's counterpart, I think that's the way to go. I don't know if you would have them sort of battling or or working together on something, some sort of creative aspect has to be tied between the two, but having both of the brides would be probably the way to go, in my opinion. Now, tacking in Billie Eilish for the soundtrack and being a composer, like we discussed last week, that kind of makes, that makes perfect sense, because that's her wheelhouse. She is a musical artist, she has a connection with Universal, she apparently loves all things Halloween Horror Nights, so for me, that makes sense to have her there in that capacity. Now, if she were to have her own house, you know, again, I don't really know anything about her. I have never listened to her music. I don't, the only thing that I would be happy for if she had her own house would be that people would go to that house and 
get out of line. So I, yeah, so they would pull people from other houses that I want to see. Now, being a Horror Nights fan, I would obviously go through the house, but someone telling me, hey, Billie Eilish house, what do you think? Uh, I'm on the side of indifferent to I really don't give a shit. I have no knowledge of her. It'd be, you know, if a house came out of a, you know, some random movie that I had not seen and everyone was kind of raving about, similar to that uh, Sabrina as of last week for that version one house. Again, it's another thing that I hadn't seen, I don't have knowledge of, so the excitement level in me is, is extremely low. So being a house to possibly pull people away is the best aspect of that house for me. So that way, when I go to the Pumpkin House or the Haunting a Hill House house, there is a less of a line there because all the other little people are at the other lines for those houses. So I really hope that we stick with Billie Eilish as a composer of sorts and not a full-fledged house. I could be completely wrong. It might be the best house, and I'd probably have to kick myself in the nuts over that. But I have minimal to no interest from just hearing about it. But that's that's all for that. Yeah, and I think that judging from her being pulled as a house title to being more of a music buy, I think it's safe to assume that I don't think she's going to have her own house. I just I know that from what I've read is that she there's still a possibility that could happen, but I think you're right. I think the difference between her and Rob Zombie is that Rob Zombie is a movie director as well as an artist musically, so he had other aspects of his creative vision that they could use on. The other, the only other thing I, I've thought about and I've seen other people talk about is that rather than her just composing a house, they could do a light show on the water with her music in some, in some way which would be kind of cool. Maybe they, instead of doing a bride house, they do a bride light show and they do things on the water like they did last year with the 80s theme and just kind of compose that with her music. I mean, it's one of those things that we're not going to know, obviously, until more news drops. But yeah, you're right. I'm with you on the, the idea that it's one of those things where it's kind of an oddity for me. Like I would I would go do it because I want to go see what it what they did with it. But I have really no background other than I some of her music is pretty catchy. But yeah, that's 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 what we think about the the bride house. I I'm with you too on the idea that I don't know if I'm into a Universal Monsters house if it's just one monster. I just because I don't know if they can pull enough to make a 12 13 scene house. All right. Now for the last two, these are kind of our heavy hitters. These are essentially what I would think as being the headline houses. These would be, in my opinion, the two strongest IPs as of now, unless that secret IP turns out to be something a little bit higher scale or anything like that. But I think these are going to be the marquee houses. Haunting of Hill House kind of takes that spot of Stranger Things. I don't know if Haunting of Hill House is on that popularity level yet, just being that it only has one season and when Stranger Things came out, it had two seasons and it had much more mass appeal. But like I said, with the Haunting of Bly Manor coming out around the time that Horror Nights is supposed to happen, they might get a little bit of a boost of interest based off of that. So first off, I'm going to tackle Beetlejuice and then Seamus is going to tackle the Haunting of Hill House. Now these two might be just a little bit longer because we actually have a lot of material that we can pull from. You know, Universal Monsters the Bride, obviously, that has a little bit of history, but with Beetlejuice, we have a full-on movie, and The Haunting of Hill House, we have a whole season of material to draw from. So I'm going to try to go through these next two with detail, but I don't want to drag on too long to bore everybody. So with Beetlejuice, I decided that we could probably go in two different directions. We could either be a complete mashup of, like, best scenes and just kind of do a lot of little Beetlejuice here and there, or we could try to tell the movie step by step by walking through the house. So I kind of just picked the latter. I think that for me, I'm a fan of storytelling from start to finish. So I would start there with the deaths of Adam and Barb. I would do that on the bridge scene. So entering the house, you'd enter on that bridge with the car. Kind of like Stranger Things 1 had a wood scene with a car in the dark until it kind of beeps and then you hit the lights. That's a big. That could be a scare right there. So I would imagine walking in front of the car, and then when the lights flash on, I would then show a little animatronic dog or something like that that barks because 
in the movie, that is how they die. They start the movie out by crashing their car off of the bridge. They return back to their house to realize that they are now dead. So, going from that scene, we'd enter the house to a scene in the movie. There's a fireplace, there's a mirror, and there's horses in front of it. And this is where they kind of wave in front of the mirror, and they realize that their reflections are dying or fading away. So they can they're piecing it together slowly that they're dead. So in this room, I'd have the handbook of the recently deceased there, just as a little prop, nothing of it. I'd have scare actors of Barb and Adam up here in the mirror that's above the fireplace, but it would be a double-sided mirror, so you can kind of drop that and they pop out. If that's not the scare for the room, then I'd have the scene where Barb's hanging herself in the closet. She pulls her face off, and then they kind of just push her to the side because they don't see her. Either that or the scene where Barb is holding Adam's head decapitated and again they don't see them so those would be kind of the failed scares that lead us to our hero drum roll beetlejuice so from there we could enter a room with flooring that's like that fake grass because remember beetlejuice is living in that model town that adam has built so you have that fake grass right there you could enter the room and here would be the comedy scare kind of a Beetlejuice character, but he appears in that cowboy version of himself, and that's when he's kind of tell everybody to say his name three times, Beetlegeist or Beetlejuice, so they couldn't really figure it out, but he would have a lot of you know, really bad fake Western slang that would kind of serve as that comedy relief because, again, for me, this house is going to be more of that comedy scare. You're going to not really be afraid to walk through this one, much like Ghostbusters last year. It kind of pieced the movie together scare by scare by scare and that's what i think we're going to do here as well so leaving the cowboy area we're going to walk through the waiting room where that's where barb and adam go to the waiting room to speak to their death specialist and this is where we're going to see like a shrunken head man the guy that's bit by the shark my personal favorite is the roadkill guy that's all flattened out and he has to get wheeled across like on a meat hanger some other possibilities are the lady that's cut in half with her legs on a separate seat the man smoking through his throat the red-faced guy that choked to death, the voodoo doctor. So lots of great little Tim Burton characters to play with. And the scare here would be, for me, one of those drop-down doors that slam and make a lot of noise. The drop-down door would happen, and it would reveal the receptionist, who's that like little mermaid-style lady, and she would begin yelling about waiting or warning, warning us to not say Beetlejuice's name three times so we'd exit the waiting room and we can go down a little checkered hallway just like the movie it'd be black and white checkers on the floor and then the windows on the wall either side of us would be little like tv monitors behind the windows itself and that would show us all the souls and that's the lost souls room much like the movie so you'd have these little almost looks like they're underwater swimming around green style ghosts if you will, and you know, we're told that those are the lost souls and not to pay any attention to them. After that room, we can kind of re-enter the home, and there we'll get a scare from Barb and Adam with the masks, and that's when they're trying to be scary, but they still aren't being seen, so Adam has his long beak nose, and then Barb has her, her mouth wide open and her eyes are on her tongue, but again, it's not working, so we're left with Beetlejuice. We can go from there to the next room, in my opinion. It would be the gravestone of Beetlejuice being dug up, and we'd have a character themed as Beetlejuice to either pop out of the coffin or fly out if we can get some kind of wire set up. I know that we've used wires in the past with Hunchback of Notre Dame during the Universal Monsters, and I can't remember where the other one was last year. I want to say it was in the Nightingales. I believe there was a scare in there where there was an actor flying towards us. There would be a clear screen, but he was behind that. I'm it was not the graveyard sure. games, I think. Graveyard games. There was games? something in the graveyard games. As you walked by it, it was on a line or something on those lines, and it came forward towards you. Yeah, so it might have been graveyard games, but there's been scares where wires and and harness stuff like that has been in place. So I would try and do that because in the movie, that's where Beetlejuice kind of floats up as our saving hero. So we can skip a few movie moments and kind of go right to the Beetlejuice snake scene where he's terrorizing all the house guests that were trying to bring out the ghosts. He has that weird little, you know, creepy Beetlejuice head. So I'm not sure exactly the room that that could fit in, but maybe on the top of the stairs chasing somebody down. That would be a a little bit of a tough one, but for me that was a pretty memorable Beetlejuice moment. So now we're going to be coming towards the end of the house, and we're going to have that summoning scene where 
Adam and Barbara in that greenlit room, and they're both in their wedding outfits, slowly dying in front of everyone. And this is where we're going to get a Beetlejuice at his full. He's going to be in his pinstripe suit, and he's going to give the slogan, it's showtime, and enter the next scene. It's going to be his little carnival theme where he's got those inflatable arms of sledgehammers and the little carousel spinning around his head. You know, step right up, step right up, blah, 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 blah. So that's going to be that little area. We're going to move to that wedding scene because you can't do Beetlejuice without that red dress and that maroon suit. You know, a little comedy scare here would just be having people in the background, maybe an auto audio track, yell Beetlejuice. And that's when, personally, I think this movie was hilarious at this point where you know he does his little <coughs> scream. And that's when he kind of throws the zipper over Barb's mouth. But that could be like a little comedy scare. And then to finalize that big scare... I'd have a giant sandworm kind of come through the ceiling of sorts. Maybe it's just it's tarped off by black so you can't see it when it's up, but I'd have that come down towards the character. Think of kind of like Clownzilla. We had that big giant prop or the mind flare from last year. You know, they have the capabilities of doing these big extravagant props and the sandworm I think is iconic as one of the scarier parts of Beetlejuice being that it's not really a scary movie, but in that aspect, that's one of the bigger Tim Burton creations from that movie that stand out to a lot of people. So we need to we need to bring that in at some point. And I think in the movie, that's where it kills Beetlejuice. I think this would be fitting to kind of end the house at that end. The very last scene of the house, in my opinion, we'd end on that happy note. The dancing scene with the Shake Shannara song. Having one of the characters on wires dancing in the air. We got a chair that's rocking. The cuckoo clock is spinning. And right at the exit, that's where personally I would put that one last jump scare, kind of like Frankenstein was at the Monster House last year, but it's the Beetlejuice snakehead statue. Like just how the movie ends, the movie ends with the statue being pushed on screen to the side to one of the characters and him you know, reacting really scared because it came out of nowhere. I think that would be a really cool way to kind of pop ahead out of the black curtains and just elongate that towards the crowd as they're walking out to give kind of that last scare. So for me, in my head, that is how I would like to see the Beetlejuice house happen. I'm not sure if it will. I was just trying to follow the trend of the movie and pick out the biggest moments that could work as scares, kind of like how Ghostbusters did last year. But there's a couple other memorable moments from the movie that I didn't talk about that could fit in the house at some point if they decide to do a mashup style. You know, we could walk through the door into those sand dunes, and that's where you see the giant sandworm. There's a part in the movie where one of the sculptures comes crashing through the window and that's a pretty big scare when they first find Beetlejuice, you know, they don't find him very scary. He says, look, I can be scary. His whole face kind of jumps out almost like a, a face sucker from alien. His head starts to spin around. Another little scene is that dining room dancing scene where they got the six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunt. But then the little cocktail hands pop out and grab everybody's faces and pull them down to the bowl. That would be a good little scare, but that's a pretty, extravagant set with a lot of animatronics just for one little thing so I'm not sure if that would be something that could happen and one of my personal favorites that isn't scary at all but the little Dante's Inferno room when you got the little Beetlejuice in there that's all stuck with a bunch of thorns so he looks very horny so he's going to that little strip cubs style bar I don't know how that would fit but I love that little entrance with the neon lights and everything like that so I know that that was kind of a long description but I had a lot of material to kind of pull from and in my head, it works as a house. I'm not too sure. But for me, that's that's kind of the best what I got for Beetlejuice. So I would expect to see some of that. Yeah, and that was a really good description of what they're probably going to go with. I think you're right in the sense that it's definitely going to be that Ghostbusters house where it's a, it's a movie. Everyone knows this movie. Everyone loves this movie. So what they're going to do is they're, they're probably going to go through those scenes in the movie and give you the sense of living out the movie itself. And you're right. I think this is one of those properties where they are going to invest more into because of that, because it's a very well-known property. Everyone does like this movie for the most part. And obviously I'm sure there are people that that don't like Beetlejuice for whatever reason, just like there are people that don't like Ghostbusters, but you have to admit they do put a lot of their effort into making these houses have some of the best props. Like, look at the Killer Clowns from Outer Space last year. I had never seen the movie. I know. I, I get it. <laughs> but I actually went back and rewatched the movie after experiencing the house the first time. 
and finding that I, I loved it. I thought the quirkiness of it was funny. I thought the goofy and schlocky stuff that were in it was really funny. And it had some decently effective scares for both the house and even the movie, even though it is kind of a goofy, jokey, comedy-style horror, which is what Beetlejuice is at its core. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's definitely going to be an interesting take on the story. But yeah, it'll be definitely the Ghostbusters right as you come in the park you know, on the left side there where the stage is, that'll kind of be that area for where that property will be. One quick uh, factoid about that, which I think is interesting, is that you'll, you will have had three houses in the last three years that involve Winona Ryder in some capacity. She was in Stranger Things as the mom. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's the young girl in Beetlejuice who is terrorized by Beetlejuice, and she's the only one that can see Barb and Adam. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Try to find some scare actors that look like Alec Baldwin pre-alcohol head. So, um, so yeah, going from Beetlejuice into the other IP, the other big one, like Nick said, is Haunting of Hill House. Now, I do agree that I don't think it's the same level of popularity that Stranger Things has. And this is something we really haven't talked about much, but they usually have an overarching theme for the event itself that all of the houses kind of, or some of the houses kind of fit into. So like last year with the eighties theme, the gaming theme, the Atari theme, you know, it kind of fit with those eighties movies, the stranger things, which are based in the eighties. So with haunting of Hill house, it, it's not, I don't think it has the same cult following that stranger things has. And, and that's fine. I think haunting of Hill house is going to provide, like I said last week, that, traditional ghost story where it isn't goofy and it isn't funny and it isn't really comedic in any way because of what the story is based around obviously the novel by shirley jackson so obviously the book that it's based around is you know one of the most famous ghost story novels ever written by shirley jackson the show is a really, really well-done take on that story. And it doesn't take liberties with the story. It's obviously different and done up for today's generation. And it doesn't have to follow the book beat by beat or the original movie. But what's great about it is the show owner, Mike Flanagan, he directed the Ouija movie and the Oculus movie. And I don't know if you've seen either one of those. I haven't seen Ouija, but I did watch the Oculus movies. And you know, for as much flack that those movies catch, it is a really, really creepy, interesting take of where he's going with it. It's it's nice to see original ideas in horror, even though they may not be original on the surface level. But when you really break it down, it's a really, really interesting way of telling these stories. And I think he does a really good job with the show. Now, where does the house go with this? There's obviously a little, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. The easiest way to look at it is it's going to be the house that is, you know, the the infamous Hill House. That's what you're going to go through. And you're going to go through the various scenes of the show or a lot of the more famous scenes within the show because there's a lot of material to pull from. I mean, I think it's, I think it was like 12 or 13 episodes. So my guess is that you'll probably go through a lot of those major scenes, like the bedneck lady obviously turning out to be, spoiler warning, <laughs> turns out to be the youngest sister when she takes her own life. So the, you know, you're going to have a lot of those famous scenes, the red room and that sort of thing. The other thing I thought about too was that maybe they go in the direction of doing just the red room. So if you watch the show, again, spoiler warning, if those that don't want the show, I mean, don't listen from this point forward. <laughs> but if you watch the show, the Red Room, it actually gives you clues that each one of these characters, when they go in the past and you see them as children, they play or they're in these various different rooms, but there's always the similar background that you don't really catch the first time you watch it. But if you look, if you watch it, there's a rectangular window in each one of these rooms. So whether it's a bedroom or a parlor or something else or the um, tree house or, or whatever it is, they always have that same background, which gives you the the clue that this is actually the Red Room playing tricks on the children, and they're actually being you know manipulated by the house itself. So you could very you could very well see a lot of these scenes within the within the haunt the haunted attraction be reminiscent of that Red Room and giving you the various stages of each of these children's visions and what they were being tormented by. What the director did say is that the show is based on each stage of grief. And each character, their story is told from one of those stages 
So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And each one of these characters are dealing with one of those stages of grief. Obviously, the the son, Stephen, the author, is dealing with denial because he's denying the whole thing ever happened and that it was just their mind playing tricks on them. The sister, I forget her name, the one who did the autopsy, the one that works for the funeral parlor, she personified anger. Bargaining is the other daughter who has the power to sense people's feelings when she touches them that's why she wears gloves so she's the bargaining i don't really quite understand how that relates to that particular stage but again i haven't done that much that much thought into it i just i just know that that's what she represents obviously luke represents depression because he ends up going to substance abuse training and everything else because he's trying to use substances to deal with his depression and it's obviously keen that he's the twin sister to Nell the youngest sister the one who personifies acceptance because she's accepted the idea that this all happened to them this is something that they went through and she's being tormented by it still even as an adult and she's the only one that agrees and accepts that it actually did happen when the other four still haven't really gotten to that point. That's why she ends up going back to the house. She has a vision that her mother is trying to help her, which eventually leads to her own death. So my guess is that another option they could go with is that each one of the scenes takes this idea of a stage of grief. And you kind of go through, much like the Beetlejuice idea, where it goes through the story of the show, and each scene breaks down each character's various you know ability to handle what had happened. So... You could see something along those lines. I don't know how that would work in a house. If you just go by what I saw with the Stranger Things one last year, it's very much just breaking down scenes, famous scenes from the show. Really, there isn't a huge storyline that they're following other than just this is this happened in the show, this happened in the show. Hey, look, this happened in the show. Hey, look, this is the big monster, you know, big scary monster. So, Because the, the thing about this specific show, Haunting Hill House, there really isn't a you know, mainstream bad guy necessarily. You don't see the bad guy. The bad guy's the house. The bad guy's the ghost within the house. So like you said last week, the big thing is the red room. So my guess is that the penultimate scene is the red room at some way. You're going to go through the red room in its full true form. You're going to go through the whole different visions and, and, and the various things happening to you as a guest of the house. This is probably the hardest IP to really break down because like I said before, I don't know, you know what they can focus on other than what they went through, the ghosts, and obviously the Easter eggs uh, that are littered throughout the show where all the different ghosts are hidden in the scene. So I'm sure their ghosts will kind of be hidden in pockets of, the, of, of each scene. But it's hard to do in a interactive medium like Scare Haunt because like, you're looking for things, whereas in the show, you're focused on the drama of the show. You're not really focused on what's happening in the background. So I don't know... I, I, I'd like to hear what you think about it, what you think they might go, go where they might go with it and kind of, you know, what are they going to take from it? Yeah. So this house is tough to compare to stranger things of the past, because like we said, the haunting of Hill house is very much more character based, more drama driven. Whereas stranger things has a lot of really cool visuals. You know, you think of stranger things one and what the house delivered. You have a lot of those scenes in the woods with the kids on the bike. You have the scene where, they have spelled the whole alphabet out with all the Christmas lights, stuff that really sticks out to us. And then when you think of the haunting a hill house, there's not many distinct visuals that stand out besides the house itself. So I'm sure we're going to get the whole parlor entrance. I'm sure we're going to get some garden scene. And then I think the best bet would be to spend a lot of time in those red rooms with the different characters, but how they're going to tell a story through that. I'm not sure. Maybe they just say, meh, no story. These are just some really cool visuals. We're going to throw some scares in. I'd be okay with that as well because there are a lot of good visuals to play with, but there's nothing that's extremely memorable because it is very drama-based. I mean, there's a lot of action from that show that doesn't even take place in the house itself. The house is a lot of flashbacks, and most of the, the story takes place you know, at, at the various characters' houses. So, you know, I don't think we're going to get a scene at... You know, I don't think we're going to get a scene at Steven's house while he's going over his books that he's going to be writing or anything like that, because those would just be a little bit too too vanilla for Halloween Horror Nights. It just doesn't seem to fit their mold. They're going to stick to those big iconic scenes that stand out. So we're really going to be left with a lot of the scenery from the actual Hill House. But regardless, I'm, I'm really excited to see that because I'm a huge fan of the IPs coming to these houses because I want to actually be a part of them and actually enjoy them and, and, and look through and see what people's rendition is 
So again, thanks for sticking with us. I know those were a little bit longer, some more so than others, but those were our takes on the you know, quote unquote announced houses from the version two speculation map brought to you by Horror Night Nightmares. And again, like we said last week, these guys have a great track record, so I'm gonna take them for their word and you know, maybe we're off, maybe they're off, but we just wanted to dissect what they had talked about since there's really not much news to talk about at this point besides just random rumors. So we could be way off. We could have nailed a couple things. Only time will tell. So come September, I'm really excited to kind of look back at this podcast, see if we even got anything right. If we did, super cool. If not, I'm really not too worried about it because it gave me something to talk about. So next week, we're going to discuss what was speculated on the map as a secret IP. It could be that they don't know anything and that they are assuming that there's going to be another IP because of what they've seen in the past, what we've had in the past. So we're going to take it, you know, and run with it a little bit. And we're just going to give you what we think will be some awesome ideas for actual IP that they can use. Obviously, certain things where Universal doesn't have the rights to that we know about, we obviously aren't going to touch. That'll be for something else where we can do such as some fun speculation of things we like to see when we know we can't have it, you know, have our cake and eat it too type thing. But we're going to try to break down some IP that we think that they might do with, whether it be stuff they've used in the past or new IP that they've never used before. So we hope you'll join us next week. Again, I'm Seamus. I am Nick. Happy haunts, everyone. I want to quickly thank you one more time to Vampire Stepdad for allowing us to use his music for our intro and outro music. So please check him out. Facebook, Spotify, all that good stuff. Vampire Stepdad. Thank you.